0: Welcome to the Battery Technology Podcast, sponsored by Munters, experts in climate control systems for safe, high-quality battery cell production and R&D. Delivering stable, low dew point conditions, whilst minimizing energy use. Welcome to Episode 2 of the Battery Technology Podcast, your regular journey through the ever-developing battery technology sector with me, Ken Davis. In the last episode, We started with an overview, a helicopter view of the industry, but in this episode we'll be taking a much deeper dive into a key technology area, that of anode technology, and I'll be joined by Tim and Hana of Leidenjar Technologies, the creator of Pure Silicon Anodes, and we talk about performance characteristics, anode chemistry, and what the future holds in the anode technology space. The Battery Technology Podcast is brought to you by 2030 Net Zero Limited, part of the organisation that brings you the Battery Tech Expo at Silverstone in the UK, Gothenburg in Sweden, and Prague in the Czech Republic. Very soon we'll be announcing our plans for our US event in 2024, so watch this space. Now, you can find out... All about those events in the show notes, together with details of how to reach us if you'd like to participate in future episodes of the podcast. Well, I am very pleased indeed to be able to welcome to the Battery Technology Podcast, Tim Arnhener of Leidenjar Technologies in Utrecht in the Netherlands. So welcome Tim. Thank you, Ken. We want to talk about electrodes, specifically we want to talk about anodes and the role they play in battery uh, development and battery technology. I guess it might be a good place to start by setting that in the context of battery development as a whole, in terms of the journey from where we are today, maybe towards a uh, solid state. So it might be a good place to start. So if you could give me kind of from where you're sitting, your view in terms of how that development is, is working its way through. Yeah, sure. Um, well, thanks for, uh, for having me here, Ken. Uh, yeah, so
1: yeah. As you introduce me, as Tim Anna, and I, I work at, at Linejar Battery Development uh, Company in, uh, in the Netherlands. And I've been working in the energy transition for a couple of years now in the, in the energy industry. Uh, and in the last two years at Linejar, developing the next generation batteries. And Batteries I've seen as the most amazing things powering our phones and our laptops and our cars at the moment and they've done a good job so far however the way in which we use these phones and plan to electrify society will actually demand a a new type of battery better batteries and we have to look about how these better batteries will uh, will will help us and what, what we'll need from these um so in the battery industries we see a couple of things happening now what kind of developments there are for these next generation batteries and what we can expect from lithium ion batteries specifically In the coming years at first we need batteries which have a higher capacity so that they can store more energy in the same weight or volume so that your phone can actually have more functions um, or a smaller battery uh, and still last for two days and some technologies that are upcoming now are for example silicon anodes which capture a lot more uh, energy in their material but also lithium sulfur And even further down the line, we look at lithium metal in solid state batteries. So we're talking there about the issue of energy density, I guess. Yes, yes. So you have specific uh, gravimetrical energy density, getting a lot of energy in the same weight or volumetric and getting energy in the same volume. And it's not always the same lithium sulfur. Uh, have some other uh, benefits than, uh, than silicon anodes, for example, or lithium metal. But these are all focused on increasing the energy density
0: within the batteries. And that's what's now ongoing in the battery industry. Understood. So the driver in terms of development is about performance in use. And the demands which are going to be made on these batteries going forward are going to be are only going to intensify. And so therefore, the, bat- the battery industry needs to increase the performance of the batteries that they produce.
1: Exactly. And now we have the the example of the phone, but look at our our electric cars, we want to drive at least a 1000 kilometers with our electric car, and then charge it again within five minutes. So we need better batteries, which can host a lot more energy, and can charge very fast. But maybe we want electric trucks, we want electric airplanes. uh, So we don't want to electrify our full society. And therefore, we need high capacity batteries. But if we're going to Uh, make use of more batteries or bigger batteries we also want these batteries to be sustainable to use clean materials clean electrodes so that's a second driver in this industry at the moment it's mostly at the cathode side where there's a high demand for high nickel or cobalt free cathodes using lots of these these crucial polluting minerals Mm -hmm. Um, But also on the anode side, graphite is scarce and polluting. So Mm -hmm. using less graphite as an anode material, that's also a a driver in the the industry. And if we look at process innovations, then we often look at recycling of current batteries, which is to go well, or dry electrode manufacturing process using less energy during the manufacturing
0: of batteries. Brilliant. Brilliant explanation. So thanks very much indeed for introducing it that way, because that does encapsulate what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be digging somewhat deeper into some of those issues as well in the course of the conversation. My understanding is that Leiden-Jar technologies are primarily, currently at least, in the anode development space. Have I got that right? Yes, that's correct. We developed silicon
1: anodes Although the anode often has, uh, of course, has interactions with electrolytes, so you can't see it as a as a single part of the batteries. But we've developed a,
0: a pure silicon anode in the Netherlands. Okay, interesting, because I'm used to graphite anodes, and I've I've seen developments in terms of the impregnation of graphite anodes with silicon. And you're talking about pure silicon, so I'm interested in just talking through the advantages maybe the disadvantages of that transition from graphite to, to silicon. So if we can start with the advantages that a silicon anode would provide uh, a battery, then uh, and we can talk about the disadvantages after that. So what, what's your th- thoughts on that? So silicon as a material
1: can host a lot of, of energy. It can host 10 times the amount of lithium ions as compared to graphite. Which means that on the anode level, we can make these anodes thinner and we can store a lot more energy and make more layers in the same battery. And how thin can it be? Well, you can compare a graphite anode with the thickness of a thickness of a human hair and a silicon anode is the thickness of a, of a human red blood cell. So it's 10 times thinner as graphite anodes. And thereby, it in- increases the energy density of
0: the whole battery uh, about 70%. On the, volumetrically because of its scale therefore volumetrically the energy density is therefore therefore enhanced
1: correct but as you also use a lot less uh, material because it's thinner it's also a big increase in the gravimetric energy density
0: that makes sense as well of course
1: sorry i interrupted oh no, that's okay um so we were talking about the advantage here. So it's, uh, it can host a lot of energy, thereby increasing the energy density. It has also very thin layers, anode layers. So it also has a high power density, uh, getting it to at least 10C charge and discharge. As we're talking about charging your car in five or 10 minutes, this is important as well. So a yeah. high, high power density. Um, and lastly, it's a a clean and abundant material so it's also a sustainably uh, an advantage above uh, graphite uh-huh. well you might think okay this is this is wonderful why didn't we have that before what's the disadvantage here well the problem with silicon is that it's it expands it can can host so much lithium ions that it expands to up to three times its size when it gets lithiated yeah um and well thereby it can fall apart it can delaminate from from its copper substrate, and the cycle life might be very short. So up till now, there haven't been a lot of companies who can who were able to make a battery with silicon anodes that worked for a decent amount of cycles. Uh, Jar has developed a material, uh, a nanostructured material with a porosity inside, uh, using plasma enhanced chemical vapor deposition. So we use plasma and uh, silane gas to deposit the silicon on the copper foil Mm -hmm. in such a way that there is a structure within and a porosity within, Mm -hmm. which can contain the swelling of the silicon. And therefore, it doesn't break apart from the copper, doesn't break apart from itself, and can actually get a decent cycle life at the moment up to 500 cycles, up to 80% capacity retention.
0: Is that achieved through the porosity advantage that that deposition process gives you
1: well it's, it's a couple of things combined um so first of all the silicon should stick with the copper substrate so it's important to have a very good adhesion uh, most of the silicon anodes fail because it delaminates from the copper substrate Using our uh, plasma based deposition process the pecvd the uh, nanoparticles of silicon gets deposited directly on the copper foil which results in a very good adhesion in this structure. So that's, that's one thing. Secondly, indeed, as you said, the porosity can, uh, can handle the expansion of the silicon. So it doesn't expand so much that it falls apart. And thirdly, there is always an interaction between the silicon, between the anode and the electrolytes. And to make sure that there's um, as minimum of a destructive effect happening there, you also have to look at the at this effect, the effect between the anode and the electrolytes, and do some developments on the electrolyte itself. So these three things have mainly brought us to the to the level that we're at now, getting to a cycle life which is. Good enough for consumer electronics to work towards products into the consumer electronics industry and also to look forward a bit to the automotive industry.
0: One of the things that's really interesting, one of the things that uh, I guess is an issue in batteries across the board really is the issue of safety, safety in use. Are we talking here about a scenario using your anodes or silicon-based anodes which improve the safety performance of batteries?
1: Well, as you compare it to conventional lithium-ion batteries containing uh, the, the the graphite anodes or in the liquid electrolytes, um, then there's not much of a difference in safety. Uh, it can reach the same uh, temperatures and the temperature changes as conventional lithium-ion batteries. Um, so there's not much of a difference uh, there. Um, we got our first cells UN38.3 certified, and we didn't see any troubles there as well.
0: Okay, interesting. Just one thing, just uh, so I understand it correctly, in terms of cell design, are you talking cylindrical, prismatic, pouch cells? What's the what's the thinking around the technology in that
1: area? We currently develop pouch cells uh, formats okay. about credit card sized uh, right. pouch cells, um, either uh, energy optimized or power optimized. So we got some some variations there. Uh, but we mainly focus on, on pouch cells. That's uh, the best thing to manufacture at our facilities. Um, however, um, it's pretty thinkable that we will develop some solidical cells in the future as well.
0: Interesting. Let's dive into the manufacturing process if we can, because clearly there are some advantages of of, of silicon. And one of the things you mentioned earlier in this conversation is the is the reduction in emissions due to, the dry process that you have. Now, by dry process, I'm presuming solvent-free. That was what I would normally define that as. Uh, just talk me through that process. Talk me through how that was developed. Talk me through some of the advantages of that manufacturer process in comparison to the traditional manufacturing process.
1: Yes, sure. Well, the funny thing is, is how it actually started for Lion Jar is uh, not into the in, the in the battery industry. We started at a, a knowledge institute, uh, ECN in the Netherlands, Um, where a team of scientists wanted to develop a new type of solar panel, a flexible solar panel, and they used the method of plasma-enhanced chemical vapor deposition to deposit the silicon to make this solar panel. Well, the solar panel actually failed. It was of no, no use, and they thought the experiment was also a failure. However, some people looked at this process that has been developed and thought, well, maybe in the battery industry, this can be of good use to develop pure silicon anodes. Um, So they tried that and it actually worked. Um, So how the process works is is we use silane, silane gas, and we put that into a vacuum chamber and add some plasma to ionize the gas and deposit the silicon nanoparticles directly on the copper foil. That means that we actually have two, two things that we need for this process, which is silane gas and electricity for the plasma. From that point, if it gets deposited on the copper foil, that's the only process step that's needed to make this uh, this anode, this silicon anode. So no slurry mixing is involved, no heating or drying or calendaring is involved. Uh-huh. And it also only uses silane gas and electricity. So no binders, no solvents, no additives, no carbon whatsoever. I can't stress that enough. Uh, it's pure uh-huh. silicon. Um, and during this process, only silicon uh, gets deposited on the copper foil. And as we take out these, these five uh, conventional process steps of anode manufacturing, graphite anode manufacturing, and replace it with a single step process, it also greatly reduces the electricity consumption of this production process. Um, that's together with using silicon as a clean and abundant material as compared to graphite reduces the CO2 emissions of the whole production process by 85%. Right. So it's a, a single step process uh, competing with the the current graphite and our production processes.
0: Fascinating. I'm interested in, in your source of supply of silicon and how that works and how the industry, the supply chain, if you like, works in the support of that. Uh, if you could just talk me through that, because obviously one of the things we're everybody's interested in is the, the economic uh, ramifications of material supply. So I'm interested in terms of how that works in relation to sil- silicon.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, first of all, the, the, the competing product, the competing materials is graphite. You can source that, um, I think, only from China and some African countries, which can be a trouble in the future.
0: In terms you- of the geopolitical issues.
1: Yeah. In in terms of geopolitical independence, Uh, In terms of having enough of the material, it's also a scarce material. Um, So we could run into some troubles there in the future if we're going to use it for our cars um, and and planes, uh, possibly. Um, So regarding silane, silane gas or silicon. The start of the supply chain, it starts with silicon quartz rock. uh, And that's available at every continent. Most of it comes from the U.S., um, but also some quartz rock mines are available in uh, Norway, uh, Asia, uh, South America. So there's there's a lot uh, of these this silicon quartz rock available. Um, and that gets processed into metallurgical grade silicon. And that also happens almost at every continent because it's also an input material for the semiconductor industry. Yeah. From there, you need to have this MGS metallurgical grade silicon and process it into silane gas. And at the moment, that's only happening in East Asian countries uh, and the United States. And these these places are market leaders in silane gas. And if you would source it now, um, you would get it through your standard gas suppliers, either in in trucks uh, or any uh, any other um, components to your to your fa- facility. However, if we would um, greatly increase the capacity of Leiden-Jar, we would be able to set up a supply chain of the slain gas so that we process this MGS into Silane gas on the
0: European level. Very interesting. You've got um, a very innovative process in terms of the one-step process in terms of actually creating the, the silicon anode. It might be worth just talking about the kind of metrics, the performance metrics that silicon anodes provide in comparison to standard graphite, just to get a flavor for that. And obviously we're talking energy density, we're talking cycle life, we're talking rate capability. I mean, those kind of the classic kind of measurements.
1: Sure, yeah, uh, happy to do that. So we are used to look at at the anode specifically and compare the current anodes in the the industry and to our anodes. Uh, As said, silicon can have a thickness of a uh, red blood cell. That's 10% of the thickness of of graphite uh, anodes. It would get you to a um, stack level, nominal energy density of around 400 watt hours per kilogram or 1200 watt hours per liter. And people often ask, okay, what does that mean for a cell level? Well, that's a very relevant question, of course. It needs to be optimized for uh, for every cell that we make. Um, Industry standards take off about 10 to 20% of that energy density uh-huh. um, to get to a cell level energy density, depending if you make 5 amp hour cells or 50 amp hour cells. That makes, it, that makes a difference there. However, I would like to invite people to make the calculation yourself. If you, if you develop a battery, take the anode there and just decrease the, the thickness of this anode by a factor of 10. Just take 10% of the, of the thickness and see what kind of energy density you end up with. Um, on a stack level, it, it would mean on a, on a volumetric stack level energy density, a 70% increase um, in energy density as compared to graphite anodes. Uh, and that's what we're applying on a cell level now yeah. as well. Yeah. Well, that was a big great benefit of silicon, of course. Silicon, mm-hmm. due to the expansion of silicon, uh, is not very good in cycle life. It actually expands to three times the size and a lot of things are happening there which limit the cycle life and we've we've overcome a couple of them to get to the 500 cycles now Um, but still uh, graphite is at least above a thousand or several thousands of cycles and we have a pathway to get also to at least a thousand cycles uh, in two years from now Mm -hmm. Um, so those I think are the most important metrics regarding rate capability Um, we achieved 10c rate capability Mm-hmm. Uh, charging your battery well from zero to 60 percent in uh in just under six minutes mm-hmm.
0: and how does that compare to to graphite uh rate capabilities measurements typically well it depends a lot on the setup um
1: it it's you you, you see some different um uh, uh different setups there going from from 1 c to to 20 c but if you see look at high energy density batteries mm-hmm. they often also have a, have a low rate capability it's often a balance between energy density and rate capability yeah. and that's what i like so much about, about silicon anodes that due to the thin anodes it raises both of these metrics
0: so where are you now in relation to the process and the process development and the development of of silicon anodes as a viable product and Where is Leidenjar Technologies heading into the future?
1: Yeah. So one thing is to improve the cycle life, and we've been doing that in the last uh, couple of years, um, going from 100 cycles up to 500 cycles now, up to 80% capacity retention. Uh, We do that by analysing the solid electrolyte interface, the SEI, between the anode and the electrolyte, uh, developing that further, developing our own electrolytes to get this cycle life up. Um, so that's on the fundamental anode level and, and increasing the, the the cycle life and also changing the anode morphology to help
0: with that. Just one point on that: I'm used to electrolytes of well, lithium hexafluorophosphate. Presumably, are you developing different chemistries in relation to electrolytes to support the silicon anode development?
1: Yeah, Yeah, we use these electrolytes as well. So these are the standard carbonate-based electrolytes, standard mixture of salts and solvents and and additives, as you say. Um, However, we see that the interaction between the anode and the electrolyte does have a great impact on, for example, the cycle life here and also on the rate capability. Mm -hmm. Um, So the exact mixture of these things that determines the performance of our cells. Um, so it's, it's a standard mixture of these salts and solvents and additives. The exact mixture is the, is the recipe of the, the secret of the chef, of course, that gets us to these, uh, these performances. Of course. Um, so, yes, we're, all, we're definitely looking at the electrolytes. Uh, same goes for, for, for different cathodes that we can yes. work with. All the performances have been achieved with off-the-shelf cathodes. However, we do see with certain partners and certain specific cathodes that we can reach even higher than we've done
0: so before okay can you can you go into why that is what's the what's the, or the electrochemistry behind behind certain cathodes performing better than other cathodes
1: well we're mostly focused on the anode however yes. some metrics are are uh, limited by the anode like the energy density and we've overcome that however some other metrics are often limited by the cathode like the rate capability yes. so we we with our very thin anode layers are able to achieve like 10 or 11 c Mm-hmm. Um, then we should also find a cathode which is also ca- capable of of supporting this high rate capability. Makes sense. Um, so if we want to demonstrate this high rate capability, we should find the right cathodes to work with that.
0: So you're going now down the path of developing silicon anodes as 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 viable products. And well, what's the what's the future ahead for 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 jar then in, ter- in terms of other developments? Um, so, delivering this product, that's a, it's a big thing
1: this year for, uh, for Leidenjar. In the past years, we've been showing uh, the performance of our silicon anodes in single-layer pouch cells up to 1.5 amp power pouch cells and all prototype formats. We're now developing our first 5 amp power pouch cell, um, which will be more standardized um, and we can get... Uh, repeatable results with. So that's that's uh, for line and jar now. At the same time, we're I'm al- always talking about uh, how our silicon anodes is is working so well and has a re- great performance. However, we're also developing the equipment behind the silicon anodes. So we're developing the production tool ourselves, the plasma based deposition process that's happening in our production tool. And that's what half of the people at Jar are working on. And if this tool gets developed, And you press start, then this silicon anode comes out and we make the batteries out of that. Mm -hmm. So developing the new generation of these production tools, that's also high on the list at Jar, And that will enable us to scale further into the future, to go to larger production facilities, uh, lower CO2 footprint, uh, lower costs of production. And that will, in the end, um, get us to market entry in, in both consumer electronics and automotive.
0: So ultimately, you're talking about supplying batteries rather than purely supplying anodes to the market. No, we're, we're mostly focused at,
1: at making anode foil. And for the coming mm-hmm. year, it will only be anode foil that we'll produce. However, to demonstrate it, we'll need to you know, develop it into, into batteries. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, we're partnering with cell manufacturers to to make
0: a standardized product out of that. Perfect. Well, that's been a fascinating Journey through uh, through anode development, and uh, I'm really grateful, Tim, for your for your contribution to that. It's a it's a fascinating topic. It's fascinating chemistry. Just what I guess one other thing to ask. Uh, so you're very much driving the move from graphite to silicon in terms of anodes. Where does it go from there? I mean, are there are there other options, other elements, other materials that? you've got in your mind in terms of, in the long term, how anode development elementally might continue?
1: Well, we talk often in the, in the anode industry, you, you often see graphite, you see silicon coming up, and you, see, of course, you see lithium metal in mm. solid-state batteries. Yeah. Um, so, but then we're talking more about the cell design, uh, yeah. these, these solid-state batteries with a solid electrolyte. And that could be a, a, a big next step and that's often said about the big next step for batteries thereby uh, greatly increasing the energy density yeah but supposedly also greatly in increasing the safety of batteries yeah. um so that's what's also in store for the for the battery industry and as silicon anodes um is supposed to be a good fit with solid-state batteries um well we we have it in our in our perspective
0: uh, i could say Perfect. Well, Tim, thank you. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Really enjoyed that conversation. It's been a fascinating discussion as well. And uh, sounds like you're going to be very, very busy over the next few years. I think so as well, both on production capacity on delivering our product. Perfect. Well, I wish you the very best of luck with that, but uh, it sounds like it's uh, well in hand. So uh, thanks, Tim. Thanks, Ken, for having me. The Battery Technology Podcast is a copyrighted 2030 Net Zero Limited production. For more details on how to reach us, you'll find our contact details in the show notes or at our website www.batterytechnologypodcast.com.